and that we're celebrating 20 years here. And it doesn't seem like 20 years. It seemed like five years ago. You know, I turned over the pastorship to him, and where did all the years go? You know, but they go. Praise the Lord and everything. So God is good. God has been good to this church, and many, so many of you, not many, but all of you, are such a blessing to this congregation. You are a blessing. Sometimes I see different individuals, and I wonder how in the world we would get along if you were not here, because you're such a blessing. Everybody seems to have a part. They seem to have a place, and I thank God for it. Lord bless all your brother. Ben Segerly, I'm so glad to see you. I heard you uh, was not feeling so good, but good to see you back there in church here tonight, today, this morning. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Good man. Amen. We've got so many good people in this church, and I thank the Lord for them. Amen. Well, I could go on and on. Once I start naming names, I have to say, no, I better not go any further because I'll have to, I can't stop. God bless you here today. I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Chapter 14, last uh, week we looked at chapter 13, which is called the chapter on charity. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians uh, is a chapter about spiritual gifts. We talked about the nine spiritual gifts Went through all of that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at that first verse in chapter 13. Paul said, I show you a more perfect way. And he talked about the love of God, that the love of God precedes all things. It's greater than even all the spiritual gifts that is an operation in the church that we think of as to be, you know, the Lord speaking to us or directing us in some way or another, which is wonderful. But the love of God that flows through all of us is the greatest and the most powerful thing in all the world, not only for the saving of souls, but also keeping us saved and for us to make it to heaven and for us to get along with each other and be happy in this life. So the love of God was brought out in chapter 13. Today we go into chapter 14, and this is an interesting chapter because Paul is still comparing some situations and things about the gifts of the Spirit. Now, in the 14th chapter, he compares the gift of prophecy with the gift of tongues. And the gift of tongues, as we've already mentioned to you here, is brought out in three, three different ways in the Scriptures. First of all, when a person receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is a gift from God, they speak with tongues. They speak with tongues. I'm going to bring out a few things to you here on that in a few moments. And then when a person uh, also, once we are saved and we're in the church, we have what we call devotional tongues. There's times when we pray and we, the Bible calls it praying in the spirit. We'll look at that in a few moments. We pray in the spirit and, of course, we speak in other tongues. And then there is also the gift of tongues that is accompanied with the gift of interpretation. When there's a gift of tongues given forth, I think we had one last week even, a gift when the Lord speaks through uh, to the congregation through someone with the gift of tongues, and then there is an interpretation to the tongues. Sometimes the interpretation can be by the same person that gave the gift of speaking in tongues, or it can be by another person. Uh, I, have been, I have been in conferences where there were 10,000 people, and everything would just go quiet, just like this. Amazing. You could be worshiping, everything goes quiet. It's like everybody suddenly quits worshiping. And there's a message in tongues that comes forth. And then over on the other side of the huge auditorium, there's somebody giving a message, the interpretation of the tongues. So God works in great and marvelous 
fabulous ways. And I'm going to talk to you a little, a little bit about that because in the 14th chapter, uh, Paul here talks about the gift of prophecy being greater than that of tongues. And so I want to talk to you about it because he's speaking of devotional tongues and a gift of tongues when they are improperly used in the church or not properly uh, exercised in the church. So he talks to us about it. I want you to look at 14.1 for a moment. I'm going to get into this. Follow after charity. He just got through talking about the love of God, which is charity. And then he says, follow after charity. It sort of he caps off the previous chapter here. And desire spiritual gifts. So we are to desire spiritual gifts. And the Bible says another place to seek spiritual gifts. It goes on to say, but rather that ye may prophesy, that ye may prophesy. Now, we talked to you about what prophecy is. We gave this to you a few weeks ago, that prophecy is speaking about the things of the Lord in our natural language, in our own language. And here, of course, is English, you know. Uh, I know we may have some some, some Latinos that may speak Spanish, but as a whole, we are an English-speaking nation here. In Florida, we have more than one language, more than other states do. But we are an English-speaking nation here. Now, if you're in another country, if you're in Germany, it's going to be German. If you're in Italy, it's going to be Italian. You know what I'm talking about. That is the natural language of the people of that particular locale. And, and this is what would be uh, any gift of prophecy exercise. The gift of prophecy, praise the Lord, is foretelling and foretelling. Foretelling is what the prophets of the Old Testament would sometimes do, but it was always foretelling. So the gift of prophecy is speaking forth the things of God in our own voice, in our own language, where it can be understood. And what was happening in the Corinthian church, because they had been given these spiritual gifts and they had the gift of tongues, it was like something they had never experienced before in their life. They didn't know quite what it was all about. And so they were just talking tongues, talking tongues, talking tongues, and it began to create a little little bit of confusion in the worship services. So this is why he takes this on here in the 14th chapter and says there's a proper order to all these things. And so he begins to talk about them. Now, look at the second verse here. And uh, I'm going to talk to you here about these things. Uh, Let me just say one thing here. Let me give you a little little bit more background here about prophecy. Uh, Look in Acts chapter 19. And before I leave this particular thought, Look in chapter 19 of the book of Acts in verse 6. This is interesting. This is where Paul goes to the city of Ephesus and he finds certain disciples of John uh, who were baptized unto repentance. He asked them, how were you baptized? They said, no, John's baptism. He said, John baptized unto repentance, saying to believe on him who should come after him. That is on Jesus Christ. And the Bible says then that when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is all brought out uh, in that fifth verse. Now, in the sixth verse of chapter 19 of the book of Acts, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, the Holy Ghost now, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, they did not foretell the future. You understand this? When they prophesied, they didn't say, you know, speak in tongues and then start foretelling the future. These were, these were brand new converts here. And so they begin to, what they did was they began to declare 
God and Jesus Christ and how great he was and how wonderful he was and begin to talk in tongues and also talk in their native language. And they would do so in tongues, speaking of Jesus Christ. Now, another verse that sort of, uh, sort of uh, goes along with that is the one in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. And this is where Peter was preaching to the household of Cornelius and all the people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost while he was still preaching to them. And they began to all speak with tongues. Here's what it says in verse 45. And they are the circumcision, that was the Jews who had come with Peter. I think there were seven of them all together. They were men who had come with Peter to observe these Gentiles as Peter would preach to them. And this amazed these men when this happened. And they are the circumcision Jews which believed, believed, that means that they were Christians, were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And here's how they knew that. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So you get the picture here. Here in the book of the 10th uh, chapter of the book of Acts, they spoke in tongues and magnified God. In the 19th chapter, it says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Magnifying God in prophecy is basically the same thing, speaking forth the words of the Lord. Uh, many of you, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you'd speak in tongues and then you'd speak in, in English. And you'd say things. I still can remember certain people getting the Holy Ghost. And they would say uh, certain things. They'd be speaking in tongues and then they'd say things in English. And, and so forth. They'd just go forth. Uh, and then I remember one sister saying, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. She just seen that over and over in English, and then she's talking in tongues, God loves me. And she was rejoicing in the Holy Ghost. So this is what happens a lot of times when people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, they speak in tongues, and then they rejoice and praise the Lord and glorify God. And it can go on for a long time, you know. Sometimes people go on, they can do this for half an hour, they do it for an hour, they go it for two hours. I mean, just worship God on and on. Speak in tongues, praise God. But Paul is trying to tell us here that this speak, this prophecy is speaking in our own language and it's under that anointing of God whenever God gives his spirit. The book of Revelation, and I gave you this last week, not last week, but a week, couple of weeks ago, where I showed you this. I want you to turn to Revelation 19.10, 19.10 for a moment. Let me just refer to this and then I'm going to move on here. I've got some good things to give you. This is... Uh, Revelation 19.10, uh, it says, I fell at his feet to worship him. This is Paul, not Paul, John on the Isle of Patmos when he's being given the book of Revelation. And this was uh, either an angelic being or someone who was talking to him. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus and then it says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You understand what I'm saying here? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the spirit of prophecy, praise the Lord, is when people talk about Jesus Christ, exalt him, glorify him, magnify him. Uh, you can say they spoke in tongues and prophesied or they glorified Jesus or they missed they. Uh, they spoke in tongues and magnified God. They spoke about Jesus. And I've used this little chart here to give you, and you've seen it before if you were a couple of, here, a couple of weeks ago with us. Uh, let me get the right focus here. Oh, let's see here. I forgot how to focus. What is the focus here? Is that it? 
Yeah, I guess that's it. Okay, thank <clears throat> So in the, here's Calvary. And in the Old Testament, the prophets pointed to Calvary. If you read in the Old Testament, so many verses by the prophets were all speaking of Jesus Christ who was yet to come. So many verses. If I were to give you a Bible study, I could not do it in one night, probably not even two or three nights, to give you a Bible study of all the verses of the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus Christ as Messiah coming. Many scriptures. And then in the New Testament, all the preaching is pointing back to Calvary. This is what preaching is all about. To tell people Jesus Christ died for your sins. He shed his blood that we might be saved. You know? And so everything points back to Calvary. So what I have is a similar drawing. The prophets pointed to Calvary or pointed to Jesus Christ. And the preachers today point back to him. So the word prophecy doesn't mean foretelling the future. It's also forthtelling, you know, speaking out. And it's always the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of course, preaching today is pointing back where the prophets of the Old Testament. I think you get the picture and you understand here what we're trying to bring out and point out. Now, I'm going to move on here in our, <clears throat> in our lesson because I've got some uh, interesting things to show you here. I want you to look with me in verse 2. I'm going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. And... Uh, We'll be finishing up with uh, the study here of the gifts and, and the various aspects of it and how they are properly used and so forth in the church. And then in the 15th chapter next week, we're going to talk to you about beginning with the resurrection. Very interesting subject that we'll be covering next week. Now look at verse 2, 14, 2. And Paul goes on writing here, says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. And that's true. For no man understandeth him, albeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So speaking in tongues is speaking in, uh, in, to God and is speaking and in, in not in our, our understanding. But he that prophesieth, this is he that speaks our own language and lifts up Jesus Christ. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now is Paul making one to be greater than the other? Only in the sense of edification of the church. If one is for the edification of ourselves personally, the other is for the edification of the church in general. So he says if a person speaks in tongues, he's the only one that's blessed by that, the one that's speaking. But if a person speaks in prophecy or in our own language and declares Christ and speaks forth those words, then he is a blessing to the entire church. Now verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Now I'm going to jump over to 14 to continue this thought that is, going, that is here. Verse 14. He says, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. But my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what's being said, but my spirit is rejoicing. And I'm worshiping in the spirit. Verse 15. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, that is in tongues, and I will pray with the understanding also. In other words, both ways. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So he's not, you know, he's not putting tongues. This is devotional tongues that he's speaking of here. He says, verse 16, else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, you come up to somebody and you say, bless you, bless you, and you're speaking in tongues and everything. Uh, he doesn't know what the guy, he don't know what you're saying. You know, whoever you're praying for or you're trying to pray in tongues and you're saying you're blessing, you're blessing, blessing. 
So he doesn't know what you're saying to him. How shall he that occupied the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. So he's pointing out here that there is a distinct difference there and that we should make sure that we do everything. And the scripture goes on to say, let everything be done decently and in order. And he is saying that there is an order to how we worship God and glorify God and magnify the Lord and that we conduct our services. I'll bring this out a little bit further on, but later on he talks about how that there is an order to the services and how the different ones have different uh, parts of the service. It's like we, we have that today. We have a song service. We have, uh, we have uh, take requests. We pray for the sick, all those kind of things. And so there was an order that Paul had said to the Corinthian people. It's not just a bedlam. You come together and it's just bedlam. Everybody do their own thing. But there is an order to the worship of God and to the services in which we conduct these things. Now, I'm going to digress here for this. This is a side note. This is a little side note. I'm going to show you something. Uh, if we were to look in Acts uh, chapter 2 and verse 4, if you've got a moment, just want to look there. This is a side note, and I'll come back to the main thing here in a minute. This is talking about when people received the Holy Ghost, they spoke with tongues. And this is uh, Acts 2 and 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the first time the Holy Ghost was poured out, chapter 2. Book of Acts, the beginning of the early, the beginning of the early church, very beginning, before preacher even Peter even preached the first message, the Lord poured out the baptism of the Holy Ghost upon them, and they spoke in other tongues. The tongues they spoke in, actually, there were sixteen languages they spoke in. At least this recorded, and it goes on down, down five on down through verse thirteen, telling about how they were speaking in tongues in different languages, and the Jews that were gathered there heard them speaking in these other languages that they knew that they knew that these Jews who were speaking it did not know because they were Galileans. They didn't know these languages. And they were said, how is it that we hear these men who are Galileans speaking in a language that they don't know, but we know what they are. One guy knew one language, another one knew another one. Another one said, hey, he's speaking Egyptian. Another one said, hey, he's speaking in Italian. Another one said, hey, he's speaking in Greek. You know, and they were just sharing that with each other. What, what does all this mean, you know? Then Peter got up and preached to them and said they need to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. Now, I use that just for an example here to let you know here that uh, this is the way that people receive the Holy Ghost. They begin to speak with other tongues. Uh, chapter 10 uh, is, is, again, the verse of Scripture where Cornelius and his household receive the Holy Ghost. And uh, it goes on to say here... Uh, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because of the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues. And so speaking in tongues here is an evidence of it. Oh, well, that's good. And we go to 19.5, uh, 6 rather, and it says the same thing about the disciples of, of John the Baptist. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. Uh, verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So they spake with tongues. And so in every case, they spoke with tongues. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you a case where they did, where it doesn't record that they did. He did. And let me have you go to the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Everybody still with me? I'm going to show you where it didn't happen with Paul. And somebody has a problem with that. I'm going to tell you why it's not a problem. 
Look at, look at this. Look at the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. I'm digressing. You know that. I'm talking to you here about an example that some people use. I had a guy throw this up to me one time, and I nailed him. And I'm going to show you how I nailed a guy. All right, ninth chapter. Ninth chapter and the third verse. And Paul, speaking of Saul of Tarsus, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there was a, shi- a light shined around about him from heaven, and he fell to the earth, heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why kickest, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. But then he says in verse 6, And he trembling, Paul, or Saul at that time, and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You've got to pen underline what you must do. Look at verse 10. I'm jumping ahead here to save time. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he prayeth and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias. That's you, Ananias. <laughs> Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Now, jumping down to verse 17. Everybody stay with me. And Ananias went his way. And entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay? So here I am. I'm come here, that thou may receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received it forth, and he and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And then it goes on to say, verse nineteen. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then Saul certain days with his disciples there in Damascus. But it doesn't say anything about receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. But it did over in chapter 2, it did over in chapter 10, it did over in chapter 19, when they got the Holy Ghost. But when Paul received the Holy Ghost here, the Lord said that he would receive, and he said, I'm going to lay hands on you, you can receive your sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. doesn't say anything about tongues. So, Brother Myers, or Ellis Myers, as the guy told me, you don't always speak in tongues. Paul didn't speak in tongues. He didn't speak in tongues. I said, I beg your pardon. <laughs> I want you to go back to now the first Corinthians. First Corinthians. Look at chapter, we're in 14 here. Chapter 14. Look at 18th verse. 14, 18. I think, my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. So when Paul was writing about putting the church in proper order and everything being right, and, and he said to you, he said, you know, I'm not getting on to you about speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues more than all of you. He wouldn't be a tongue talker if he hadn't got the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues back there in the very beginning. And what we are pointing out to you here is just because the Bible doesn't mention that little detail doesn't mean it didn't happen. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established. If it says in Acts chapter 2, I believe it. If it says in Acts chapter 10, I believe it. If it says chapter 19, I believe it. If it says in 1 Corinthians 1.13, I believe it. I'm just trying to tell you here that these things, praise the Lord, are laid there 
for us to understand. And so whenever it says that they receive the Holy Ghost, sometimes we just have to say, God bless them, they receive the Holy Ghost. I know how they did it because the example is laid off and laid out in all the other verses and scriptures. Everybody still with me? So when somebody says, oh, Paul didn't speak in tongues when he got the Holy Ghost, don't tell me he wasn't a tongue talker. <laughs> he spoke in tongues more than he said, I speak in tongues more than you all. Praise the Lord. I mean, he could have just said, I speak in tongues also. He didn't say that. More than you all, he said. In other words, I'm into this all the way. And besides, when he was at the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, he laid hands on them. And they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. Praise the Lord. And you mean Paul doesn't have the Holy Ghost and he hasn't spoken in tongues. And he lays hands on people and they get the Holy Ghost and they speak in tongues, you know. So, you know, Paul received it. I'm just adding that as a little... Little side note here that I wanted to kick in here and pass along to you here. Praise the Lord. Now, let me give you an interesting verse of scripture that follows the 18th verse. Now, he prefaced the 19th verse by saying verse 18. He says in 18, I think my God, I speak in tongues with more than y'all. Yet, yet 19 in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And there are people who would like to say and have this read this way, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Meaning that tongues is so diminished here. That's not what it's saying. And anybody wants to come down that route I have to sort of have to remind you that there is that phrase that is in the middle of it all. And look at it very closely here. He says, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice, I might teach others. You get the picture here? Then 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. In other words, if I'm sitting up here and I'm teaching a Bible class and all I'm doing is talking in tongues to you folks. And I'm looking at my notes and reading and I'm talking in tongues, waving my hand around. And I'm talking in tongues. You're not getting anything out of it. Am I not right? I'm, you're not getting anything. You may all have the Holy Ghost. You may have spoken in tongues when you got saved. You may worship in tongues sometimes. And I may do the same thing. But if I'm teaching, I'm up here teaching. And I'm saying, oh, you know, tongues is for the church. And I'm teaching and I'm talking in tongues. You're sitting there doing this. You know. And you're not, you're not even into it because you don't know what I'm saying. It edifies not the church. And that's what Paul was saying in this 19th verse. He was saying, I had rather speak five words in my own understanding that I might teach others than 10,000 words in unknown tongue. And that's why he prefaced the statement by saying in the 18th verse, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all so that you understand I'm not putting tongues down. I'm just putting everything in its right perspective, in its right order. Praise God. I thank God for the word of God. God's word is so very wonderful and so very good and so very true. Now, he goes on to talk about some things. Look at this 21st verse here. And I'm going to read the 21 and 22 together. In the law, it is written with men. This is a quotation from the law, and I'll read that back to you in a minute. It's in Isaiah 28, 14, uh, 20, 11. In the law is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they, all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Yet for all that, 
will they not hear me, saith the Lord? In other words, I'm going to speak to men through this tongues. With men of other tongues, I speak their language. Verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them that believe. I'm going to try to unravel this for you a little bit. Let's go to Isaiah for a moment. You got your Bibles there. Isaiah uh, 28, 11. Everybody's still with me here. I got you in another little dither here a minute. This is a prophecy about the uh, gift of the Holy Ghost being poured out. It's written in Isaiah 28, 11. With, for with stabbering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith the weary shall rest. And I could take you to, I don't have time today to do it, but I could take you over into the book of uh, Hebrews and show you where that receiving the Holy Ghost, being filled with the Holy Ghost, is the rest that God has put in the church. Just like he promised Israel the rest that the land of Canaan would be the land of rest for them when they got there. Also in the church, receiving the baptism of his spirit is a rest. It rests your soul. I could go into a lot of illustrations on that, how that it gives you a rest and peace on the inside like nothing else does. And this has reference to it. Now, let me finish up what I'm reading here. So he says here in this uh, 11th verse, I'm read it again. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the Jews, of course, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may recall, you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost was poured out and they heard them speaking in tongues and glorifying God and magnifying the Lord, they knew that it was of the Lord and God was speaking to them. But the tongues is what grabs, is what grabbed them. Is what fascinated them about it. And it was a witness to them that this is what God has now brought. And it was prophesied back here in the Old Testament. So in the book of 1 Corinthians, he refers to that here in this 21st verse. And the law is written with men of other tongues and other lips when he's speaking to this people. That was the early church. They spoke in tongues and they spoke to those Jews in this other language saying how great God is in another language that they knew they did not know. And so it's referring to that. Now he goes on to say here in verse 22, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. In other words, if we believe, we don't have to have tongues as a sign. But if we are unbelievers, it is a sign unto us that this is of God and that God is speaking to this people. Now, I, I did not realize this for years, but I came to realize it just over, just by hearing different people say it, especially people who were converted and brought into the church. But when there is a message in tongues and interpretation, when that message in tongues goes out, it always seems to grab the unsaved. In other words, it, 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 it interests them. They listen. What is this? What is this all about? What's going on here? And they listen to the speaking in tongues part. And then whenever the message comes forth, the church who are saved listens. If you are a saved person and the message in tongues is going out, you're waiting for the message. How many of you know that I'm speaking the truth? Just put your hands up. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. 
You're waiting for the message. The tongues is what you just wait. You wait it out to hear the message. But if you're an unsaved person, the speaking in tongues is what grabs you. It's what, what's this? What's this all about? And when the interpretation comes, usually they are unconcerned or indifferent or it doesn't mean that much to them as much as the speaking in tongues does. I'm talking about new, 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 new people, people that haven't, they're not used to that. And so God gives forth this message. He gives forth the word of God and he begins to speak. So tongues is a sign to the, to the unbeliever uh, that they might be saved. And tongues is used in many ways to, uh, to talk, to speak to uh, God's people and to speak to the church and, and so forth. Uh, years ago, I don't know how many years ago was that there was the, the dictator of Iran was a guy called the Shah, the Shah of Iran. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Shah of Iran. But uh, back there, some of you older people remember whenever he was, and he was very pro-Western, very pro-American. And uh, we had a missionary over in Iran by the name of Jim Wood, James Wood. James Wood and I went to, went to Bible school together, so we were good friends. I knew him real well. And he'd gone to Iran, taking his wife over there and three little daughters. And he was a missionary over there for years and had established a lot of churches in the country of Iran. He had come back to America to do deputation. He had left his wife and family over there. And uh, he had come back to the States, and he was doing deputation signaling. He had to take care of some business while he was here and made it very short. He came through Milton, Florida, and preached there in Milton, Florida. And while he was in Milton, and Milton is just about uh, 50 miles out of Pensacola, Florida, in West in the Panhandle. A small town. He preached there in Milton. And at the end of that service, a message came forth to the congregation in tongues and interpretation. And the message in tongues was an Iranian. And he knew everything being said. He knew everything being said. And he listened to the interpretation. And he said to me later, Brother Myers, the interpretation was so exact on what was being said in Iranian, it amazed me. I had never heard that before. I've heard tongues and then interpretation. And I always listen, but I heard the tongues and the interpretation. And he said the exactness of it was amazing, and it was a message to the church. But he said it was also a message to me, a message to me that God spoke to my heart and said, this was what you've got to do. And so he called me from up there, and he said, I have several meetings scheduled, and I've got one with you. Brother Wood never came here as a, as a missionary. Did it go off? Okay, thank you. i got to get back. Am I doing something wrong here? I've got to get back to Iran. I said, all right. I said, he said, I'm flying out of Miami. I said, then come by through here. And stop, we'll have dinner together. So he and I had dinner, and this is when he told me all of this. And then he said this to me. He said, there's going to be a change in Iran. This is what I learned in that message in tongues. God spoke to him through that. He said, there's going to be a major change. In, he said, the Shah is in control there. This is along about the time the Shah was calling himself the king of kings. He was saying, I'm king of kings. He really got lifted up. And, and Iran was just booming and growing and going great guns, and it was very pro, pro-American. But the Shah was really getting out of hand with it. That was a, uh, uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini, 
Khomeini was the Ayatollah. The Ayatollah is the big honcho of the Islam in Iran, and uh, and he was the he was uh, Khomeini was in was in Paris. He was in exile, but he was fixing to leave exile. He come out because the Shah was getting a lot of opposition, and Khomeini thought he could overthrow the Shah if he went back. And this is what was developing. And Brother Wood knew nothing about all this except the Lord spoke this to him through that message in tongues. Over there in that little old small town, little town up there in northwest Florida, by two people who gave a message in tongues interpretation that never been out of, I don't think, northwest Florida themselves in their whole life. And So here he was, and he was telling me all this. I got to get back because that's going to be a change. The Shah's going to be thrown out, and there's going to be somebody else to come in and take his place. He knew all of that. Isn't it amazing how God looks after his people? And then the, he said this, I've got to get back to Iran so I can set the church in order. I've got to send my wife and family home because in Iran they have very little respect for women and girls. And he said they're in danger. They will be in danger if this thing starts snowballing. And so he said, I want to send them back to the States. I'm going to stay there and set the churches in order. And folks, that's exactly what he did. He went back over there and sure enough, sent his family back, back to the States. And he continued to work over there and work among all those churches, setting pastors and leaders, and setting it all together and everything. And by the time he got it all put together, all of a sudden, the Shah left Iran. He went into exile himself. I think he went to Egypt. I can't remember the details. But anyhow, but he went into exile. And, uh, and the Ayatollah Khomeini came in and took power and took and brought in a real strict Muslim regime that had no tolerance for Christianity or anything else. And those churches that he set in order are still there. I want you to know Iran still has a lot of churches. Praise the Lord. They have a lot of churches there, and they're all over there still. And after a while, then Brother Wood said, it's time now for me to get out. And so he got out and came back to the States. Came back, pastored a long time here in America, and maybe retired. He's my age, so he's probably retired someplace, or maybe a bishop, maybe like I am, or whatever it is. But I'm just trying to tell you here, it is so beautiful how God works with his people, how he uh, leads and directs us and guides our lives and all the things that he does. Now, I'm going to move on here because I want to wrap this all up. Uh, look at verse 26. I'm going to finish this up. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. How is it then, brethren? He says, uh, when you come together, every one of you, a psalm, a doctrine, hath a tongue, a revelation, hath interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. And over the last verse at 40, it said, let all things be done decently and in order. And I've already mentioned that to you in a previous lesson. But uh, anyhow, he said, everything, put everything in order. And then in verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. If there's a message in tongues, interpretation, praise God. If there's two messages in tongues, interpretation, praise God. If there's three messages in tongues, interpretation, praise God. If there's a fourth, uh, fourth? There's a fourth message in tongue. No, 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 no. Let's see, that something's wrong. Somebody is trying to give a message in tongues, interpretation when it's not of God. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible gives us here instructions on those things. We had a message in tongue, interpretation last week. How many of you remember that? You remember that? Boy, you weren't here? 
Did you know that was a second message in tongue interpretation that's tried to come forth? Somebody got out of hand and it was shut down. It was. That was a second message fixing to come forth. I know it and the pastor knows it too. But anyhow, I'm just trying to say here, the message and trust coming forth, just be quiet. You don't have to get emotionally excited, run the aisles, just be quiet and wait. Because God wants to speak to the church. Confirmation to the message nearly always. Or a little bit more to it. And there was a second message that was designed by the Lord that he wanted to give as well. But it was sort of shut down. And the spirit is subject to us. God has allowed it to be that way. And that's brought out. Look at verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means that your spirit is subject to you. It doesn't have control over you. Right. Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Paul brings that out for a purpose. When the pastor, when the evangelist or pastor stands up here and he says to us, you know, we're all praying and worshiping and everything. He says, I want everybody to just be quiet for a moment. You know how we all gather around the altar and he won't have something to say because it's going to take us into a deeper, a deeper element of worship. You got somebody wanting to carry on a carol. They don't think nobody has a right to stop them from their worshiping and praying. But the spirit is subject to the prophet. Any of us can just cool it for a moment until whoever's in the pulpit has what he has to say and he has said it. Am I okay? <laughs> Am I on solid ground? All right. I got scripture here. Amen. All right. The spirit is subject to the prophet. Just remember that. And then verse 33, for God is not the author. 32 says the spirit of the prophet is not subject, is subject to the prophet. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Praise God. Now, I've got one other subject here, and I'm going to finish this off. I've got about, just about five minutes here. Have uh, I got five minutes? Is that right? Am I over? No, no. I'm just about there, right? <laughs> I've got a few minutes. Okay, I've got three minutes, two minutes. I'm going to say it real fast. Look at verse 34 and 35. All you women, God bless you. Look closely. Let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Oh, Brother Myers, you're in a lot of trouble now. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. Let your women keep silence. It does not say silent. Did you get that? It did not say let the women keep silent. It says silence. Another, let them maintain quietness in the church with kids or what, you know, and everything else in there. Let it all, let them maintain and keep quiet. And in the olden days, the men sat on one side of the church, the women sat on the other side of the church. This is all history. This is all history. You can read about it and everything. And the women, because they were not, they were not used to going to church, Christianity emancipated womanhood. And women now could go to church and worship like men. They could have the Holy Ghost like the men. In the Jewish faith, it was only the men that went to church. Women didn't. You know, even in Israel today, they got their men, women, the women men pray over here. The women pray on this other side over here. And so it was a thing where that Christianity now had introduced women. To, and the women would sit on one side. And sometimes when the preacher was going forth, a woman would say, hey, John, what's he mean by that? Across the aisle. 
I don't understand. And he said, let the women keep silence in the church. And if they have any questions, let them ask their husbands at home. So they had the women had to, he had to learn. So the pastors then of the Corinthian church would say to the women, all right, women, just keep quiet. When it's all over with and you go home, then ask your, your husband to explain what he meant when he referred to Isaiah 28, 11, and, you know, and all those kind of things. Because he knew he was, uh, he'd been around there. So do you understand what we're pointing out to you here? Let the women keep silence. And of course, not only for themselves when they're asked their husbands, but also the children and small and the babies and things like that. And this, this is still so the, the case today. God love you. You're a good church. You're good people. God is good. And uh, let's all stand together and just thank God and praise him here this morning for his goodness and glory unto his people. God.